chapter 13, verses 10 through 21 this morning. But before we get to our text, how many of you enjoy buffets or, as they say out in Lancaster, smorgasbords? Have you ever gone to a buffet or smorgasbord? Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. I, you know, no judgment zone here. Um, if you've never been to a buffet or a smorgasbord, uh, what it is is basically it's like a, a room full of food. You know, it's like you, you walk in, you have just f- food everywhere, lots of choices where people can find as many foods that they like. And if you've ever gone, have you ever, now I'm not, no, you know, again, no judgment here, but have you ever noticed how when people go through a buffet or a smorgasbord, they just keep piling stuff onto their plate, you know, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. I don't know this from personal experience at all. Um, but they go through and they just keep adding and adding and adding. And have you ever also noticed that if you're going to a smorgasbord or a buffet, you know, and you see something that just comes out or looks, looks really good, people will actually like, like, you know, they think like they're playing March Madness and they'll box out, you know, and like try to like get room so that they can get to the thing first before anybody else gets there. Again, I don't know, I don't know that from personal experience at all. But there, if you think about it, there is so much food. And while, yes, yeah, some of it gets eaten and, and taken, but, and the amount diminishes, but there's more food that will come and fill that tray that has been diminished. And what's kind of funny to me is that we pile our plates full of food that will not run out. Right? We pile our plates of food that will not run out. I mean, in theory, it could eventually run out. But the whole idea behind a buffet or smorgasbord is that the food will not run out. And yet we pile our food on like it will run out. Instead, we could take our plates and take a little tiny bit each time. And we could go back as many times as we want until we get all that we need, until we get our, our fill We could keep coming, keep growing, keep getting all that we want. And this morning, Jesus isn't teaching us about smorgasbords, but about the Sabbath and his kingdom. But there are similarities in how we view smorgasbords and the Sabbath kingdom. We tend to want as much of it for ourselves, piling on as much as we can possibly get while not really caring if others get what they need or are filled with good things. So let's read Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 21. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, that's Jesus, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and 
lead it away to water it? And not not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced in all the glorious things that were done by him. And he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests and its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As your word tells us, the word that was made flesh is Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for him. Lord, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear the good news that you have for us today. The good news that you've had for us for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're a guest with us today, we're in a series through the Gospel of Luke titled Certainty in Christ. Luke wrote his gospel, the good news of Jesus, as someone who wasn't an eyewitness to Jesus. He didn't know Jesus personally, had never seen Jesus, didn't know what had gone on. He he was a Greek Christian who had heard about Jesus, who believed in Jesus, but he wanted to explore for himself whether what he had been told and believed was true about Jesus. And that's really helpful for us because whether it was 30 years from when Jesus lived or 2,000 years, we are in the same situation, having heard but not seen. And so we can trust Luke as he gives us the account that he investigated. And last week, Pastor Alex preached from Luke 13, 1 through 9, and reminded us that bad things don't happen to bad people or good things don't happen to good people, that we often tend to judge others by what happens to them. And so if something bad happens, that person's bad. If something good happens, that person is good. But that's just not true. It's not true from our experience in life. It's not true in what the Bible says. But those situations, when we see bad things happen, should cause us to examine our own hearts, not to judge others, but to examine our own hearts and to repent and seek Jesus. And this morning we move on to this time in the synagogue. It's on the Sabbath. If you're not familiar with that term, the Sabbath was instituted by God as a good thing. It was instituted in creation. God created, according to Scripture, in six days and rested on the seventh. And when God gives his law to Moses on Mount Sinai, this Pattern is to be our pattern, to work six days and rest one day. But he also connects the Sabbath not only to creation, but also to redemption, the work of Jesus to save us from our sins. In Deuteronomy, God specifically states that the Sabbath was given as a gift of redemption, a gift of redemption when he saved his people from slavery and brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
Once you were slaves, but I have saved you from that and given you a Sabbath rest. Right? A people who, who worked all the time, seven days a week, 365 days a year, who never had any rest, who were used and abused, were now released and given rest. So this morning, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on this Sabbath, on the day of rest, on the day of worship. And Jesus has moved from the crowds. Remember, he was out with thousands in the crowds. Now he's teaching in the local synagogue, what would be somewhat similar to our local church. He's there on the Sabbath, the day of rest and worship that God gave his people as a gift, teaching the religiously devout people. Right? We have to remember that, that he's in the synagogue. So these are people who are religiously devout Jews. Right? He's been out in the crowds, and so the crowds could claim that they are religious because they're Jewish by nature, by their heritage. But they're in the crowds, and we don't know what their religious practices are. But we do know that these people who are in the synagogue on the Sabbath are people who are religiously devout Jews. They are there to worship on this Sabbath day. They are the ones who are keeping the Sabbath. And yet, do they, like the leader of the synagogue, truly understand the Sabbath and its relationship to the kingdom of God? Those who are there to observe, to keep what God has given them as a gift, do they actually understand it? Do they actually know what it is for? And as those who are gathered on the new Sabbath, the Lord's day, the day that God, has, that God conquered the grave in Jesus Christ and reinstituted a new Sabbath rest, as those who are gathered here, either here in person or online together today, in a place of worship, do we know the relationship of the Sabbath and the kingdom of God? Do we know the release and abundance of the Sabbath kingdom? Do we understand what the people that Jesus was teaching on that Sabbath day did not understand? Do, do we know the release and abundance of the Sabbath kingdom? It's an important question for us to ask. And this morning we'll look and see that because Jesus is the King of the kingdom and Lord of the Sabbath, we are given release and abundance. Right, we've already been, we've already seen in Luke's gospel that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and we've already seen that he is being shown to be the king of this kingdom that he keeps talking about. And so because Jesus is the king of the kingdom and Lord of the Sabbath, we are, giving, we are given release and abundance. We are given Sabbath release and Sabbath 
abundance. First, Sabbath release, verses 10 through 17. You see, the miracles of Jesus demonstrate the truth and reality of his teaching, right? What he has taught, what he is teaching has been validated by the miracles that he is, has been doing. Jesus is true, right? Jesus is the one who God sent, not just the one who God sent, but is God in the flesh. Jesus is truly God, truly man. Jesus is true, but he is also good. And if, he's, and if it's true that Jesus is God, then God is good. And Jesus begins to demonstrate that for us. He teaches and shows the release that he brings, right? In, in Luke 4, when he was uh, preaching for the first time in the synagogue in Galilee or Nazareth, he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, that he's the one who is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. And he announces the absolution of sin, of releasing all those who are captive. In his earlier healings, in his the physical restoration is accompanied by the forgiveness of sins. It is repeated over and over again in Luke that this that this release that this forgiveness, this healing is considered a release of these people that he has come to save. This is all gospel. It is all good news. Here is Jesus, the, again, the agent of creation, the one who is with God, three in one at the foundation and formation of the universe, coming to his creation and working on the Sabbath to recreate what has been broken. This too is all gospel, all good news. And so Jesus is showing and announcing this release, this release that recreates what has been broken. And the center of this passage is an interpretive question about the Sabbath, which, Je which allows Jesus to restate why he has come as I just said, to proclaim release to the captives, those who are in bondage to Satan, those who are captive to sickness and sin. And from the beginning of his ministry, miracles of healing and exorcisms and absolutions from sin have been his agenda, his fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. And so once again, he is showing what he has come, why he has come. And verse 16 is, is interesting because Jesus has, has, has released this woman, healed her, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, spoke to the people Right? He says, there are six days in which you ought to work, watch work which should be done. He's basically saying, you know what, Jesus, healing's fine. 
Don't do it this day. Do it any other day of the week. And you people come any other day of the week and have Jesus heal you. But this day is not to be, there's not to be any work, not to be any healing done on this day. And Jesus realizes and sees the hypocrisy and calls him out on it. But if you look at verse 16, he says, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, from Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bondage on the Sabbath? Stands in stark contrast to the synagogue ruler. Right? His necessity resides in, in following these, this ridiculous notion that healing was some sort of work prohibited by God on the Sabbath. Right? The Old Testament doesn't even come close to making that decree. But somehow he had, like others, come to believe that God's work, even the work of healing and bringing release to those who are, who are captive, should not be done on the Sabbath. What's interesting here is that Satan is obviously at work, <laughs> right? He is binding. He is, he is bound this woman in a sense. He's enslaving people in crookedness. And the, the, the leader of the synagogue is basically saying, hey, Satan can do his work on, on the Sabbath, but Jesus, you can't. <laughs> God can't do his work on the Sabbath, but Satan can. And Jesus calls him out, not only hypocrites, but says, look, right, you believe that you should untie your bound animals to allow them to go and find water, to drink and to be refreshed. If you can do the work of unbinding, of unbounding your animal who's tied to the trough, how much more should this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan, be allowed to find and experience refreshment of healing? Right? Jesus says, you should know this you care that much about your animal, how much more should you care about this woman, this person who needs to be released from the bondage that she has been in? And the synagogue leader and all those who are with him miss the point of the Sabbath. The essence of the Sabbath was indeed a rest. That is a time of liberation or release. Right? That is what the rest that God is calling his people to. The rest that God called the people of, e of Israel out of Egypt. The release, the unbounding, the liberation of rest. And Jesus interpreted his ministry in the same way. He declared the year of Jubilee, 
the true Sabbath year, as we read about in Leviticus, the one where everything was returned to everyone who had either sold it or was taken from them, the year that the land even got to rest, the year that everyone received back what was rightfully theirs, a jubilee in which God's creation and people were to be returned to his rightful care. This morning, are you here in this place? Are you bound by sin, sickness, a sense of hopelessness? If so, Jesus says you're in the right place. To hear of the release that Jesus offers. To know that those among us have been found, found and been released to come to him, to know the freedom, the release that only God can give. Just like this woman, Jesus is saying that you too can be unbound led to the refreshment of his healing. And this is also a call to the people of God. Right? The people of the synagogue should have recognized what the Sabbath was for and the call of Jesus in the Sabbath. Right? The call of the church, the God's people is to continue to proclaim and seek to bring release to those who are bound. Yes, only Jesus can ultimately release us from the bonds of Satan, sin, and death. But we are called to point people to that hope, to him as their ultimate hope of release, but to also seek to minister in Jesus' names ways that break those things that have a temporal hold on so many. last several days, I was down in uh, Boca Raton, Florida, I know, suffering for Jesus, um, at the Spanish River Church Planters Summit. Many of you know it's a retreat summit that I, we haven't had for a couple years because of COVID, but I had gone year after year as a representative of our Mission to North America Committee for our Presbytery and our church planning network. And one of the great things, you get to hear stories of other churches and church plants around the world. And a couple of those stories that stood out, particularly in light of what I was going to be preaching on today, was two, two different ministries, but both ministering to native peoples. One in Canada, near Alberta, and one out in Yakima, Washington, through Sacred Road Ministries. And to hear of the faithful presence of God's people, seeing and understanding the things that have bound people, and seeking to release 
those, that bondage and seeing how people who have known that love and care of God's people have responded out of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To see the church understanding that there are things that temporally hold many. Broken families, drug addiction, mental health issues. And for the people of God to come alongside faithfully and consistently and to bring release in Jesus' name. is a powerful, powerful reminder of the Sabbath kingdom, of the year of Jubilee. It's not merely release, but it's also a Sabbath kingdom of abundance, verses 16 through 21. His teaching and miracles are signs that the kingdom of God is already present. It's already a reality, even though... It may seem small, right? These, these uh, parables of the kingdom, so to speak, just these few little lines are reminding us that his teaching and miracles are signs of the kingdom of God. It's already here and present, even though at times it may seem small and insignificant or even hidden. And no matter how small or hidden these signs may appear, there is a powerful agent at work like the leaven, like the power contained even in a tiny little mustard seed. And it points to this greater reality. These signs of the kingdom are the release of the captives from sickness, greed, and Satan. They are a signal that a greater release is coming. It comes through Jesus' death and resurrection and all creation will be freed. As one commentator, I Howard Marshall notes, the stress is not so much on the idea of growth of the kingdom in itself, but on the certainty that what appears tiny and insignificant at times will prove to have been the beginning of a mighty kingdom. A mighty kingdom of abundance, an abundance so great that it creates a tree large enough to care and shelter the birds, an abundance so great that it produces a smorgasbord of bread that feeds those who are hungry. Right? We often think, and this, I think, is what is going on in this passage to some extent, not just a misunderstanding of the, of the rules of the, or the law of the Sabbath, but of the abundance of the Sabbath Right, This leader of the synagogue doesn't understand the abundance of God's Sabbath kingdom. Something that we often miss, I think, is the abundance of what God is providing and wants to give his people. And, the, and beyond that, to the world. Right, this, uh, We think of God through a lens of scarcity. Right? Kind of like the idea of going through that smorgasbord, going through that buffet line and piling as much food on your plate as you can get because, hey, it might go away. 
and I might not get it. We look at God and his kingdom often through a lens of scarcity and not abundance. And yet over and over and over again throughout God's word, throughout scripture, we see that God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. The Sabbath is of the abundance of God's kingdom given to us as a gift. Right, These, this, tree, this little, little mustard seed will grow into a plant, into a, a big enough like a tree to even house birds in it. It's interesting how God sometimes gives you like you know, illustrations right in the moment. And this morning, I just happened to be walking down the hall here in the office wing and looked out the doors to see like what the blizzard was doing and whether we should call off church this morning. And it wasn't in a tree, but my car was the only car parked out there. And there was a bird under my car finding shelter from the storm, basking in the warmth of the engine. And what do you think? I mean, my car's not huge, but it's, it's big enough for many birds to sit under. But one by one, other birds tried to come and find shelter and warmth and the protect, under the protection of my car. And guess what that one bird did? he or she kept attacking the other birds and sending them out. That bird had a mentality of scarcity. That bird felt like, this is mine and I've got to keep it. I've found the shelter. I've found the warmth. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep it for myself. Brothers and sisters, I think that's what we often do with the abundance of the kingdom. I found it, and I'm keeping it for myself. And yet, the image that Jesus gives us of the Sabbath kingdom is not of scarcity, but of abundance. Right? See, this is the Old Testament imagery of the the, the tree and the birds representing the nations coming into this, coming to this tree and finding rest, finding a home, finding shelter. The kingdom grows large enough to welcome all the nations in, to give them a place of shelter, to, of calm, of peace for those who rest in its branches. Right, what once, or even sometimes still now appears as a small, tiny mustard seed will be a great tree, a great bush. What appears to be a little speck of yeast will be a large, leavened mass of bread. For Luke's first readers and for us, these parables provide assurance of God's abundance. They provide assurance of what has already happened now has arrived as well as the assurance of what is yet to come, the not yet. Through Luke's writing, 
God is reminding us or maybe telling us for the first time, God's love is for the powerless, the outcast, the oppressed, all those who know their need for him, widows, prostitutes, the grieving, lepers, the crippled, the brokenhearted. They found in Jesus' day that today God was visiting them with salvation promised long ago of an abundance of the Sabbath kingdom. Brothers and sisters, that is still as true today as it was then. Jesus has visited us. The abundance of his kingdom is here. For Theophilus, the one who, who Luke was writing to, and all other readers like us, once without hope, outside of the covenant promises of God, God's salvation has appeared. And we have been given release and have found abundance of the Sabbath kingdom. May we share that release in word and deed out of the abundance that we have found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the release and the abundance of your kingdom. Lord, I pray you'd help us to not be like that little bird that found the warmth and the safety under my car this morning and want to keep it all to ourselves. But Lord, that we would be a bird that would go out and say, hey, everybody, come, follow me. Let me show you where warmth and safety can be found. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.